You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We started a series a couple of weeks ago called Route 66. Route 66. We're talking about the most important verses in each of the books of the Bible. This is the first time I've ever done this series here. Although I've done it a couple of times in other cities through the years. It takes about 20 or 25 weeks to get through it. So I hope you stay hooked up with me. Because I try to cover about three mile posts every day, every time I speak. And last week we talked about uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, the most important, not last week, but two weeks ago, the most important verses in those, the most important singular verse in each book is what we're doing. And I know there's all kinds of controversy and all kinds of opinions out there. I'm not here to tell you I know for a fact from, from God that this is the most important verse in the Bible, in, in each book. I'm telling you this is what I believe. Is that fair enough? You came, you're going to hear my opinions. I've studied the Bible extensively. I've given my life to study the Word of God. And I found that there are key verses along the way that help you understand the whole Bible. I'm trying to get to the key verse out of each book of the Bible to help you boil it down to 66 verses. So you can, so you can understand the Bible better. As I said, in one church you might find something different. In another church you might find another opinion. Another church, you find another opinion. Well, here you're going to find this opinion. Amen. Because uh, somebody wrote a little story one time about how many charismatics does it take to change the light bulb? You know how many charismatics it takes to change the light bulb? One, hands already in the air. <laughs> how many Pentecostals does it take to change the light bulb? One, to change the bulb, and nine, to pray against the spirit of darkness. <laughs> How many Presbyterians? None. Lights will go on and off at predestined times. <laughs> How many Roman Catholics does it take? None. Candles only. <laughs> How many Baptists? Now these are all Christians. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm going to pick on everybody. How many Baptists? At least 15. One to change the light bulb and three committees to approve the change and decide who brings the potato salad and fried chicken. <laughs> How many Episcopalians? Three. One to call the electrician. One to mix the drinks and one to talk about how much better the old one was. How many Mormons? Five. One man to change the bulb and four wives to tell him how to do it. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that one. How many Methodists? Undetermined. Undetermined. We don't know whether your light is bright, dull, or completely out. You're loved. 
You, you can be a bright light or, or a dim light or, t- or you can be a light bulb or a turnip bulb or a tulip bulb. Br- bring a bulb of your choice next Sunday to the lighting service and, we're, and bring a covered dish to pass. <laughs> How many Nazarenes? Six. One woman to replace the bulb and five men to review church lighting policy. policy. <laughs> How many Lutherans? None. Lutherans don't believe in change. <laughs> How many Amish? What's a light bulb? <laughs> Last time we said in Genesis, verse 1 of chapter 1 was the most important verse in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You either put your faith in God that created the worlds and the universe. You put your faith in evolution, which says, in the beginning, nothing. Nothing, for no apparent reason, exploded and created, created everything. Now, let me tell you something. Both things take a lot of faith. Evolution is not a science. It's a faith. It's a religion, just like what you believe. You have faith that God created the worlds. The Bible says so. We went on and talked about a lot about the existence of God and the proof of God's existence. Then in Exodus, we said that Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13 was the most important verse. It says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This is where we, God institutes the Passover the seventh day of the first month of their, their year, the Passover was instituted. That's the, the, the pinnacle feast for the Jewish nation. The Passover. It created the nation, in, in essence. And we're talking about Leviticus. Life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you for Leviticus 17 and 11. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And today, we have arrived at Numbers 23, 19. Today, we talk about Numbers 23, 19. This is the Word of God, albeit these words came from a false prophet named Balaam. Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M. But God had commandeered his mouth. God had taken over his mouth and said, You're going to say what I tell you to say. And God made this false prophet say these words. God is not a man, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? This has two pieces to it, two distinct pieces to it that you need to understand. The first one is, for those who think that God never changes, I have a news flash for you. God became a man. God was not a man in that day. But my God that I worship today is Jesus of Nazareth is a man. Still a man. A highly exalted man at the right hand of Almighty God. 
Malachi 3.6 is where we get that God never changes. It says, Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. What that means is, God never changes his attitude toward his covenant. Or he would have killed Jacob. He would have killed Israel. He would have destroyed the nation of Israel, sons of Jacob, because they had broken the covenant thousands of times. Hundreds of times. But God said, I, say, I make a promise and I keep my promise. That's all he means by change is not. When he makes a promise, when he makes up his mind to do something, he is there forever. Amen. Amen. And that's what that verse in 23, 19 says. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? If God makes a promise to you, that promise is always good. Yes. Amen. Yes. 89 times in the New Testament, the phrase Son of Man is used almost every time referring to the Lord Jesus Himself. Let's look at Acts chapter 7, verse 56. Acts 7, 56. Stephen said, this, this, this is about Stephen's stoning. Remember when they killed Stephen in the streets of Jerusalem? And, and Stephen looked up into heaven and he said, and, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open." and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Stephen looked up and didn't see the Son of God. He saw the Son of Man. Yes. The fact that Jesus is still a man in heaven means that there's a way for you and me to get in, glory to God. There's a man at the right hand of Almighty God. That means you can go to heaven today. It means you can be saved today because you have an advocate there beside the throne of God, seated on the throne of God, at the right hand of Almighty God. Acts 22, 7. Acts chapter 22 and verse 7 and 8. Can you get that? Acts 22, 22 7, 7 and 8. And I fell unto the ground, Paul speaking here, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus, not of heaven, not of glory, not of the new Jerusalem, this is not a God talking in the sense. This is a man, Jesus, talking. Because he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. A dusty little, nasty little town that nobody thought anything good could come out of. And Jesus from heaven is still identifying himself as Jesus of Nazareth. That means, doesn't matter where you're from, Jesus of Nazareth identifies with you. Doesn't matter where you come from or how bad you've been. Jesus was raised in Nazareth, Nazareth and he still sees himself as a Nazarene. That means if you're persona grata, persona non grata, if you're come up and coming or down and out, he is your God. He loves you. And he identifies with you today. Glory to God. That's why he's still a man, because he's identifying with us. Now part two of this, this verse is that our God performs his word and keeps his promises. Our God performs His word and keeps His promises. I don't like people that make me promises that don't keep them. Yeah. Is anybody else with me? Yeah. If you make a promise, you're supposed to keep that promise. Yeah. In October 1940, President can presidential candidate Franklin Roosevelt said, promised, I have said this before, but I shall say it again and again, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. 
14 months later, we were in all-out war with him as our president. In October 1964, candidate Lyndon Johnson promised we're not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to do for themselves. A few months later, our boys were in Vietnam and stayed there 10 years thanks to this bozo. Men don't keep their promises often because they worship a God that they think has a right to break his promises if he wants to. Under the guise of him being sovereign. Well, God is sovereign just because it said it in the Bible doesn't mean it's for you. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. If God makes promises, God keeps his promises. That God that made that promise is a God that will perform that promise if you believe him. If you believe him for it. Listen to this. That, that, those quotes come from a book called No Matter How Thin You Slice It, It's Still Baloney. It's still baloney. But when God makes a promise, it's a good promise. It's forever promise. Deuteronomy 6.5. Let's turn there real quick. Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Wow. You know why I picked this one? Anybody know why I picked this one? No. Because Jesus picked this one. Yeah. Matthew 22, 36, and 37. Let's turn there. Matthew 22, 36, 37. You can just put it up on the board if you would. Thank you. Man, I need to drink a water. Matthew 26 and 30, 22, 36, rather. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. I want you to notice the change. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jesus put it like this, With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Ladies and gentlemen, what Jesus is saying when he trans- translates the word might into the word mind, he's saying this. Your real strength is in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. The strength of your spirit comes through your mind. The, the, the way your life is guided is by, by how you think. If you think wrong... You'll be weak. If you think right, you'll be strong. Glory to God. So then, he's, then he goes on with that Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 6, 7, 8, 9. And he tells them what they must do with the word. He said, these words of the law, can you put that up on the board? Deuteronomy 6, 6. These words which I commanded this day shall be in thine heart. 
Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and upon thy gates. He just gave them ten, ten things concerning the word of God. The written word. The law, really, for the Jew. For you and me, it's just the promises of the written word of God. You love God by loving His Word. Amen. Don't you ever get hungry just to hear somebody's voice that you hadn't heard in a long time? I, I have friends call me that I hadn't talked to in a year or two, and I always say it's good to hear your voice. Yeah. Just good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's just yeah. good to hear somebody's voice that you haven't talked to in a long time. You love them because you love the way they talk. And you can see them when you hear their voice and on the phone, you can see their face. Are you hearing me? God said, if I can just get you to keep my word in you, you'll see me. If I can get you to keep my word in you, you'll know me. If I can get you to keep my word in you, you'll love me. The way to love God is to love His word. The word comes in three primary manifestations for us. The first one is Jesus. Jesus, the Bible calls the word. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the first manifestation, most important manifestation of the Word. You don't have to have one Bible verse memorized to get saved. You don't have to have one Bible verse memorized. How many of you got saved without having one Bible verse memorized? That's pretty, pretty well most of us. That's not what it takes. But you cannot get saved without the Word, the person of the Word, coming into your life. When Jesus comes into your life, that changes everything. Now the Word becomes flesh again in you. The second manifestation of the Word is the Bible. The Bible. The Bible is a manifestation of the Word of God. Now listen to me. Not everything in the Bible is God talking. God's, it's God's record, of course, but sometimes he quotes the devil. Sometimes he quotes Job's, Job's uh, friends who were idiots. You understand what we're saying? Don't take everything you read in the Bible as your, as your word. It's not. But all the promises are. Every promise God ever made anybody, he made to you. That's good news today. Y'all, uh, you, you should be throwing money. <laughs> The third way the, the, the word is manifested is in the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. The preaching of the gospel of peace. The word is not manifested in the preaching of the gospel of repent. The word is manifested in the gospel of believe and receive the peace of God into your life. Receive the gospel of peace into your life. What is the gospel of peace? comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, if you'll turn there. Or let, the, let them put it up on the board for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, 
That is to say that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word that God has reconciled himself to mankind. This is the gospel. That God loves man, and he done everything, he's, did, he's already done everything that can be done to take away our sins, to bring us back to God. There's nothing you have to do but believe this message. Receive Jesus as your own Savior and Lord. The Word, Jesus. The Word, the Bible. The Word, the Gospel of Peace. Moving right along. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I don't know anybody who's looking forward to failure. I know people who have failed. But I know people who are a great success today who have failed but got back up. Failure does not have to be where your bus stops. Failure does not have to be where you get your ticket punched. Failure does not have to be the end of the road for you because you can make your way prosperous. Notice what it said. You shall make your own way prosperous. It's in your hands what you do with the words that was given to you. There's three primary things that are said here in this verse of Scripture. He said, with the Word of God, confess it. Don't let it leave your mouth. You keep it in your mouth all the time. You keep talking the Word of God. Confession, number one thing. Number two, Meditation. Meditate upon it day and night. That's where most of Americans have gone wrong. We don't know how to meditate anymore. Don't know how to sit and think about anything for any length of time. Meditation requires some quietness of soul. Sit in some place quietly alone. With your eyes closed maybe. Thinking on the things of God. Letting the Word of God manifest itself in your heart so it can manifest in your mind and come out with strength to make a difference in your life. It has to get in your heart some way. Meditation is a great device most Christians don't do enough of. They meditate on their problems. They meditate on their troubles. They meditate on what went wrong today. And worse yet, and meditate on what could go wrong today. Yeah. You know, it's worse than meditating on what went wrong. Yeah. Meditate on what could go wrong. Yeah. Confession, meditation, and then he said, then he said and thou shalt, well, let me get back up here. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written. So confession, meditation, and performance. Really important aspects. Very important aspects of your Christian walk with respect to how you get successful. I want to be successful in God. Your prosperity and your success are in His hands. No, they're in your hands. Your prosperity and your success is in your hands. It's in your mouth. It's in your mind. 
It's in your actions, your confession, your meditation, and your performance. And we're not talking about performing to go to heaven. We're talking about performing for your own success. I've known successful Christians, and I've known Christians who were not very successful. I'm not just talking about in business. I'm just talking about living the Christian life. You know what I'm talking about. I've been on both sides of the fence, in fact. Sometimes I've been successful. Sometimes I've been a failure. I like winning better. You can call me. You, I've, been, I've been poor. I've been wealthy. I like having money better. I've been sick and I've been, I've been healed. and I've been, I like being healed better. I'm not looking forward to failure ever. Amen. Word of God is rich for you. God intends on you finding your way successful. Now let me move, move along to one more thing I want to share with you. In Judges chapter 2, this is four, four mileposts this week. Judges, Judges chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal and woke him and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. God has sworn that he will never break his covenant with you. There are people in this world who think that God's just ready to throw them away. That God's just ready to cast them out, send you to hell for any reason. God's not trying to send people to hell. His mission is to save people from hell. Remember in the book of Luke, they, there was a time, I don't remember the reference right off, but where the disciples were going to call down fire out of heaven. On, on them. On, their, on somebody who didn't receive Jesus. And they said, Lord, you want us to call fire down out of heaven on them? This is James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus rebuked them, it says. He rebuked them for saying that. And said, you know not what, what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. Amen. Then we get to Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of, of Acts. And the same, remember, Luke wrote both these books. Interesting to note. It says, Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, you're going to die. And they did die. How do we square that with Luke? Because people have wondered, well, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. I say God didn't do that. I say Peter did, Peter did it. Peter's the one that said it. Not even sure it was God's will for them to die, but they, they did. Jesus said, you know not what spirit you're of when you do that. When you try to destroy men's lives, you know not what spirit you're of. It never says God killed them. Are you hearing me? God doesn't break His covenant with you. He will never break His covenant with you. He will never break His covenant with you. Legalism says things like this. If you get divorced and remarried, you can't be saved. You can't be forgiven for that. But the same people will say, God will divorce you just like that. God will just cut you off. You do anything wrong, He's just going to cut you off. Now that kind of thinking is stupid, if you ask me. 
I worship a God that makes me, holds me to a higher standard. I worship a God that makes me live to a higher standard than he's willing, he's willing to live to. I have to live better than God lives. I have, to, I have to be forgiving from an adulterous creep and take him back over and over. And God can just cut me off anytime he gets good and ready. How holy does he expect me to be if he's not going to live any holier than that? In fact, it's right the opposite. It's right the opposite. God will never break his covenant with you. He will never break his covenant with you. God loves you. God loves you. He's going to keep you in his family no matter how snotty your nose gets. Or how dirty your diaper gets. We've been born of the grace of God. Not of how well we perform. We've got the Father God through the blood of Jesus, but we were born of grace. Amen. God has sworn that He will never break His covenant with you. Let's get bow your heads just for a minute. And my Father, I pray for these gathered here today. I pray for Your power to be manifested in their lives. I thank You, Father, for the truths that are in the Word of God as we make our way through the Bible. We're learning to find out what the most important word in each book is, but the most important word that ever has been spoken is this one here. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried. And He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And Father, I thank You for Jesus today. That He died for our sins. That He was buried. That He rose again. We thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what it means to be saved. That we can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I thank you for everyone in this room that is saved. I thank you for those here who are yet to be saved. We want you to know, Lord, that we appreciate all that you've done for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation upon the, in, the, in the knowledge of Christ upon every person in, under the sound of my voice today. Let it be that they meditate in your word let it be that they come to know Your Word. Your Word in Jesus. The Word of the Bible. The Word of this Gospel of Peace. Which means that anybody can come to know Christ because the blood of Jesus was shed for the whole world. In Jesus' name I pray today that You would help us to know that You are the God who swore this covenant and You are the God who will never break this covenant with us. In Jesus' name.